Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor Daryl Feemster. Glad to have those of you that are watching live on Facebook. We are excited about what God's up to. How'd you like the rain? Yeah? Somebody said it's been over 10 inches. You do know that uh, rain is a sign of God's attention. It's a sign of His promises being kept. It was nice to get some favor in these days, to get some good in the middle of all the chaos that we find ourselves in these days. We're in the middle of a, well, it is the middle because we have three sermons. We're in the middle of a series called What Happens After Repentance. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Second Chronicles 7 and then also to 1 Peter 5. Second Chronicles 7 and 1 Peter 5. Uh, this series came... Uh, Actually, a few weeks ago in my prayer time, I was asking God, what's going on? Why is all this stuff happening? Uh, How long is this going to be? How long is this going to last? How many of you think it's gone a little farther than we thought we would, right? And usually when I get into those times when I'm I'm just asking a lot of questions, I, I usually start repenting confessing and repenting of my sins. I, I confess yours too. I confess the nation's sins. I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to figure out, God, what's, what's going on? And, and immediate, right in the middle of my prayer time while I was repenting, I heard clearly in my mind what happens after repentance. Uh, that stopped my whining uh, immediately the scripture came to mind, Second Chronicles 7, and the, the verse that came to mind is verse 14, but I want to start reading in verse 13, because when I turn there to look at it, verse 13 starts with, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now like most of you, you're probably familiar with this verse. It's a principle that has become a mainstay when you're in trouble. Uh, If my people will humble themselves, realize you're not in control of anything, you pray, you talk to God, You seek His face, you seek His person, not just what He can do for you, but you seek His presence. You seek who He is, and you turn from your wicked ways, which is repentance. You turn away in order to turn or return to God. And I I knew that, and, and I was focusing on that, and I heard in my mind again, how many times do you repent? When is repentance enough? And then I heard the same question. What happens after repentance? And I realized, even as I was reading those scriptures that came to mind, that I was focusing on my part, my responsibility. Humble myself. Pray. Seek His face. Turn from your wicked ways. I was focusing on those parts that I considered the rules. That's what I was supposed to be doing. And while focusing on me and my responsibility, 
It literally, I was becoming more self-conscious. Well, have I humbled myself enough? Have I, have I pray, been praying enough? Uh, have, I, have I really turned away from my wicked ways? And I was always examining myself, and, and those questions came again. When's repentance enough? What happens after you've repented? And I realized while I was focusing self-consciously on my part, I was missing the promise. Then I will hear, I will forgive, I will heal. In other words, I was to repent and then change my focus from me to Him. He will hear, He will forgive, He will heal, He will. He will. You see, after repentance, we're supposed to believe He will. Well, what happens after you believe? How many of you know that usually right after you repent, you you enter a battle? A battle. After I repent, you say, I have the best intentions. How many of you have ever said, I'm never going to do that again? Right, salt and pepper those words because we tend to eat them. But at the same time, after I've repented, all of a sudden evil becomes more real to me. I see all sorts of evil. I see it in me. I see it in others. I see it by me. I see it by others. It's kind of like after the rain, all I can see is the mud, the mud, the mess. After repentance, I don't know about you, but I hear voices. Any of you hear voices? These voices are usually saying something in my mind like, what difference do you think this is going to make? Just wait. It won't last. You've done all this before. Where's that got you? When's it going to happen? Why do you still feel that way? It didn't change your desires, did it? You think this will make your fear go away? Or usually after I've blown it, see, you're no different. That didn't last long, did it? Anybody else hear voices? You see, we have this idea that after we repent, you would think that everything would be blessings and peace and joy and victory. That's not usually how it works at first. 2020 was predicted by prophetic voices and I even said, I believe that 2020, I believe that God had shown me that this was going to be a a year, not only a beginning of a new decade, but a beginning of a new era spiritually. God was going to be dealing with man in a way that He had not dealt with with man before in such a a way. And and, and then I get into 2020 and, and I hear this voice, how's that working for you? But you see, you realize if you read Scripture, if you're a student of Scripture at all, that's always been the case spiritually. Every time God begins to deal with mankind in a different way, there's an enemy that rises up in resistance. Adam and Eve in a perfect environment, in a perfect place, there was a snake in a tree. And when Israel was in bondage and captivity to the, to the Egyptians and after 400 years of them crying out, God says, I'm going to deliver them. And the first thing that happens is they kill all the male babies. And then the promise of the Messiah, God says in the fullness of time, He was going to send His Son. And when that time was coming and Herod got wind of it, He killed all the male children 
under two years old. Right when you're looking for a deliverer. Last few weeks ago, Pastor Chris finished up a series on the armor of God, telling us how we can stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, I want to share with you this morning is I don't want you to be ignorant of what he's up to, of his schemes, of his craftiness. You see, after repentance, you realize you have an enemy, an accuser. First Peter 5.8, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. It's right after talking about humble yourself before God and He'll lift you up. And you think the next verse would be about Him lifting you up. But here's the next verse, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The New Living Translation says the first part of verse, verse 8, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy the devil. Don't be ignorant of his schemes, of his craftiness, of his tricks. Peter uses two words in verse 8 to tell us who we're dealing with. Adversary and devil. The word adversary comes from the Greek word antidikos. It means opponent or enemy. Ante, against, and decay, against the judge or law. In other words, it could be translated that he's a prosecuting attorney, an adversary who brings charges against you before the court. Literally before God. And then he uses the word devil, which is diabolos. It means a slanderer, a false accuser, one who makes charges to bring you down or destroy you. No sooner have we repented than our adversary the devil comes in to bring charges against us, falsely accusing, lying, deceiving, roaring in our heads and in our spirits of how this won't work. His motive is to destroy, to kill, to steal, to kill spiritual momentum, to steal our faith with false accusations, and destroy the work of God before it can get started. Isn't that what we're seeing going on in our world right now? It starts out with the promise of 2020 being that year of clear vision, that year of of God moving in our midst and, and doing what He has not done. And then all of a sudden, the enemy, all hell breaks loose in our nation. Why would that surprise us? Because we have this expectation that after I repent, everything is going to be easy peasy. It's going to be great. It's going to be blessings and joy and victory. And the first thing we realize is a pandemic. Not too long ago, through my daily reading, I went through the book of Nehemiah, and the Lord brought it back to my attention as I was looking at this. Nehemiah was in captivity. He was a cupbearer to a pagan Persian king. He hears from Jerusalem, Ezra has already gone back with a remnant to rebuild the temple. God's moving and God's about to do something. After 70 years of captivity, God's about to change the way He deals with His nation. And people come from Jerusalem and Nehemiah asks them how it's going and 
They say the people are suffering and they're a reproach and the walls of the city are broken down. In Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 4 through 11, it says he sat down and he wept and he prayed and he confesses his sin and he confesses Israel's sin and he cries out to God. He repents. The king sends Nehemiah. He sees him. He he gives Nehemiah his request and he sends him with provision and protection to the governor of Jerusalem, to be the governor of Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. It sounds like everything is working out just like it should. Right? He gets to Jerusalem. He declares the favor of God and says, let's rise up and build. In chapter 2, verse 19, I want you to see something. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is the thing that you are doing? What is this thing you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? Right in their face comes their opposition. Well, Nehemiah, they start to build. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, I want you to read it. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army of fish offers, offers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap of charred ones at that? And Tobiah the Amorite who was standing beside him remarked, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked along the top of it. In other words, they mock and they say to us, it's useless, it's hopeless, it'll never work, it'll never be any different than it is right now. Then the wall continues to go up. It gets to half its height around the city and Sanballat and Tobiah continue. Verse 8 of chapter 4. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Verse 11. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we'll swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The threats. The people began to believe the enemy. So Nehemiah gets them armed. They they continue to build with a sword at their side, waiting for a trumpet to be blown that they could all fight the enemy. And here's the good thing about this. The enemy never did come. They were ready for him. And when they knew that they had found out his plans, they never did come. Isn't it amazing how many threats you get from the enemy and it never turns out that way? Oh, but they threaten and the people believe and they get discouraged. Well, if that didn't work, chapter 6, they began to send letters to Nehemiah, falsely accusing. Sanballat, look at verse 5 of Nehemiah, it's on the screen. Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand and, and this is what it said. I love this because it sounds so much like today. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations and Gershom says tells me it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel and that's why you're building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, there's a king in Judah. 
You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. I'm warning you. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. Let's reason about it. Let's talk it. Let's, let's debate it. Let's have a conversation. The false accusations. Isn't it amazing how the enemy can bring up your past when you're looking towards your future? They continue the intimidation, sending letters, and even hiring prophets to prophesy against them. I want you to note something, because this is what I want you to hear in this. The building continued. Right in the middle of all the opposition, the gates were set. The wall was completed in 52 days. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. The devil wants to intimidate, to ridicule, to slander, to manipulate and manufacture things against you before the Lord. And he's good at it. And he can sometimes... Though we don't war against flesh and blood, He can sometimes use the people all around you and sometimes those that's closest to you. Well, what do we do? What do we do? How do we handle accusation and intimidation and prosecution? Well, look at verse 9 of 1 Peter 5. Verse 9, 1 Peter 5. It says, Resist Him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now I want you to understand, isn't it just like the enemy that when he begins to accuse you and falsely uh, say these things and intimidate you and manufacture things in your own mind, isn't it amazing that you think you're the only one going through it? Nobody understands what you're going through. Nobody's getting this, what I'm getting And here the scripture says, do you not realize all of your brothers and sisters are going through the same thing? In other words, you're as as bad as your preacher. You hear voices too. We hear it. We feel it. We doubt. We fear. And there's enough evidence in my own life have the problem. Here's what he says. Resist. Resist. Athistomy. It means to take a complete stand against, hold your ground, and refuse to be moved. Move from what? Firm in your faith. Stereos. Steadfast. Sure. Immovable. In what? Or better, in who you believe. Stand. Ephesians says, having done all, withstand. Let's go back to Nehemiah. How did Nehemiah handle it? How come it got finished in 52 days when all this threat and intimidation and manipulation was going on? Well, when they laughed and mocked at him, in chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 20 says this, So I answered them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us, Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. When they threatened him, and they came in great anger toward him, 
Verse 14 of chapter 4 says, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And when they falsely accused him, verse 8 of chapter 6 says, I replied, there's no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. He stood in what he believed. In fact, he stood in who he believed. And I want you to read to you verse 15 and 16 of chapter 6. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. And when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Listen to me seriously. God is going to finish what He started in 2020. God is going to finish what He started It doesn't matter how intimidated we might feel, how fearful we might think. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is who we're going to believe. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. And when God does what He said He was going to do, the whole world is going to know who did it. What was written beforehand, Scripture says, is written for our learning. What we learn from Nehemiah is how we live in this time. God's going to rebuild some things. He's going to reset some things. He's going to restore some things. But we've got an enemy coming at us. We've got a battle we've got to stand in. How do we win the battle against a liar? A cheat, an accuser, an intimidator, a manipulator who wants to destroy us and the work of God. James 4, 7 says the same thing as 1 Peter 5, 9, but with a different order. See if you can see it. James 4, 7 says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. They're the same terms as in... Peter, but it puts first things first. And I want you to listen to me. You don't start with resistance. You resist by submitting to God. Submit is the Greek word hupotasso. Hupo meaning under and tasso meaning to arrange in order. It means to voluntarily place yourself under a line and subject yourself to God. Now, this is not a passive word. We often think of of that word of submit as to sit down. We think of it as to step back. This word submit is not a, a, a passive word at all. In fact, it's a word of enlistment. It's a word of getting in line under the authority. Getting in your place in subjection to the one who really is in charge. It's to align yourself under the one. And here's the reason for it. When you are under authority, how, when you act or speak, you speak and act with the authority of the one that you're under. It is being at the ready to respond. In other words, 
I'm in line under God awaiting orders ready to participate. Well, what's our response? What's my first response in subjection to God? Is to resist. Same word as Peter used. Antihistamine. It's to take a complete stand against. Hold your ground. Refuse to be moved. And I just got this revelation last night. Most of the time when we, when I quote, not we, when I quote James 4, 7, I say, submit yourselves to God, submit yourselves therefore to the Lord, and resist the devil, and he will flee. How many of you know that's not the whole scripture? He will flee. Did you hear it? When you submit to God, and when you hold your ground, He will flee from you. The same way He would flee from God, He flees from you. Why? Because you have the authority of the one you line up under. If you line up under unbelief, He ain't going nowhere. If you line up under uh, what the news says, you ain't going nowhere. He ain't going nowhere, excuse me. You're not either. When you line up under God... You have the authority of the one you are submitted to. And when you speak, you speak with His authority. And when you act, you act with His authority, lined up in subjection to His Lordship. And when you do, He, the enemy, flees from you. From you. How many of you would like the enemy to get off your tail for a while? From you. One of the reasons we have a hard time resisting is that we believe his accusations. We believe the threats. We believe the intimidation. And there's plenty of evidence he has on us that this is about what happens after I've repented. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all righteousness. And you say, yeah, preacher, that's true, but I sin again. Well, then don't stop reading there. 1 John 2, 1 says this, My little children, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole of, of all the world. You notice in 1 Peter 5, 8, there was a word that said adversary. In 1 John 2, 1, there's a word that says advocate. One is a prosecuting attorney, and one is a defense attorney. The one who stands before God to accuse you has, to, has someone standing in your defense. His name is Jesus Christ. And I want you to see this. You are not standing before God in your righteousness, in your goodness, in your ability to act right and do right and be right. You are standing before God and there is one, that the word is parakletos, the paraclete, the one who's called alongside. And his name is Jesus, his name is the Holy Spirit. Same word. He is your advocate, your defense attorney, and He's not standing there defending you on the basis of your actions. He's standing there defending you on the basis of His action. 
of His righteousness. You stand holding your ground though everything the enemy says may be true. Because you're not trusting truth about you, you're trusting truth about Jesus Christ. He is my righteousness. He died for my sin. He took it. He takes it. And He makes me His own. Let me give you a picture of this. In Zechariah, right close to the end of the Old Testament, Zechariah was a contemporary of Nehemiah. He was one of the minor prophets. And he wrote a short book. But it's an amazing thing to me as I looked at it. He had eight dreams one night. And Zechariah is probably the one prophet, though in such a small book, he has the most about the coming of the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And in chapter 3, one of his visions is amazing. Look at verse 1. It's going to be on the screen. The angel showed me Yeshua. This is the New Living Translation. The high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against Yeshua. Well, why was he making accusations? Verse 3, Yeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. The word filthy there doesn't mean he had mud. It's literally the word for human excrement. He had our humanity. Zechariah 3, 2, go back, it says this, And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Verse 4, So the angel said to the others standing there, Take off his filthy clothes, and turning to Yeshua, he said, See, I've taken away your sins, and now I'm giving you fine new clothes. Yes, Lord. Let me ask you, who rebukes Satan? The Lord rebuke you. I don't accept your accusations. The almighty judge of the universe has said, I don't accept the enemy's accusations. Who gave you the new clothes? The Lord. He didn't have to clean himself up. He was given the new clothes. The Lord. You see, I want you to understand The high priest Joshua, it says in King James, Joshua the high priest that he saw in this vision was standing before an angel of the Lord. I believe was standing before the Lord. He never utters a word. He's standing there and it's obvious Satan is accusing him but he's looking at the angel of the Lord. I believe the Lord. And Satan's accusing him and he never says a word. He doesn't rebuke the enemy. He doesn't defend himself. He stands in his place. And the Lord rebukes the enemy. And the Lord takes off the filth and puts on His own holiness. 
That's how you win the war that you're in right now. You don't stand up for yourself. You let Jesus stand up in you and be your righteousness. Listen to me. I believe with all of my heart God's going to finish what he started on January 1, 2020. What I want to do is I want to stand with him. Looking full into his face, trusting him. I don't want to give up any ground to the enemy in my life. Don't move. Completely stand in subjection to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. Some of you may not know Jesus. You may have a religious encounter. You may have had a religious experience. You may have been a part of a church of a long time. But let me ask you a question. Are you lined up under the lordship of Jesus Christ, can you really say that you're at the ready for whatever he wants? Can you be today? Yes. You trust him. And here's what he says. When you trust him, you can resist the enemy, the liar, the killer, the destroyer, and he will flee from you. You can trust the Lord. This morning, you may have heard the voices, but I want you to know what God has promised. I will hear you. I will forgive you. And I will heal. I will heal. What happens after repentance? I believe and I stand. I stand on what God has said. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we bless you and thank you. We invite you right now to manifest yourself to us in in the way personally that only you can. Lord, I'm asking you to show this congregation and these people who are watching to show them that you are going to finish what you've stated, what you've said. You're going to do what you've started. And Father, I pray that you would just give us attention. Help us to align ourselves voluntarily under your Lordship and believe you. And then to take our stand with you. The Lord will hear. The Lord will forgive. And the Lord will heal. We trust you this morning, Lord. We trust you. In Jesus' name and for his name's sake in our country. Amen. May it be so. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 